Howdy. Heidi. Oh. <laughs> Heidi Fleiss, everybody. <laughs> Who's Heidi Fleiss? She was a uh, Madam to the Stars sort of thing uh, in the 90s. Uh, really? Yeah. Why did I think she was on like... She, you thought she was one of uh, Howard Stern's uh, go-tos? No, I, no, I thought, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I thought she was some sort of a Baba Booey. <laughs> I thought she was on like the commish or, or something like i thought she was on like one of those sort of cop procedural oh, shows yeah no. maybe she just got arrested yeah i think you just saw a mugshot on tv and assumed that she was on csi yeah the cop procedural show was the cbs news <laughs> that i was watching well heidi flies to all of you yeah. it's it's september yep <laughs> it is september currently september the month of Heidi Fleiss, where we all gather around and watch the commish. <laughs> is that the name of the show? The commish? I have no idea what the commish is. Isn't Michael Chiklis the commish? Or was that just his name on whatever show? Are you talking about the shield? The shield. I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. I thought I, Heidi Fleiss. I, I think I'm thinking of Heidi Klum, <laughs> who also isn't on a cop procedure. On a, I know that much. She's trying real hard, but they're not going to let her. <laughs> she's very funny, but she's not going to get that. Is she the one who was married to Seal? Yeah, she was married okay. to Seal. All right. She was married to singer seal oh no no i'm, I'm thinking of uh that lady heidi who was married to a seal i don't know what i don't my brain is all over the place i don't know hi i just woke up uh, heidi <laughs> and heidi fleiss to all of you and welcome in to our september episode of la meekly a los angeles history podcast where we talk about los angeles history and it's hosted by my stalwart co-host Greg Gonzalez. Ringo the dog. Oh, yeah. Oh, Greg Ring. Gonzalez. Yeah. Ringo the dog is also here. And who's your stalwart co-host? Oh, actually, what adjective would you describe to you use? Would you use to describe your co-host? Is strokey a word? <laughs> Not absent-minded, really. He's definitely having some sort of uh, flare-up right now in his brain. <laughs> My loyal and very organized co-host. Oh. Ringo the dog. Ringo the dog. Ringo the, and Heidi Fleiss. And, Heidi and here Fleiss. she is <laughs> with her signature catchphrase from the commish. I didn't do it. <laughs> Daniel Zafrin. Uh, that's me. That's you. I would describe myself as uh, strokey and a little pokey, <laughs> a little sleepy, a little da- daffy. <laughs> a little daffy, a little sleepy, a little wily coyote. Yeah, my favorite. Um, let, let's go through all of the seven dwarfs. There's... Okay. Uh, there's, of course, Daffy. There's Goofy. Mm-hmm. Heidi um, Flies. Heidi Flies. <laughs> um, Seal. <laughs> my favorite. And the rest. And the rest. The Professor and the rest. Mm, and yeah. So um, before we get any further into the month of September, we want to welcome a new Patreon <gasps> person. New Patreon person. This is always exciting. To it is exciting. Yeah. It's Heidi Flies. Wow. I got to send her really nice postcards. Well, she's not so much of a Patreon supporter as a. Uh, you know, it's like a, what do you call it when you like send letters to people in prison? I oh, like she's a pen in pal? Prison. Yeah, it's yeah. a pen pal. She's a pen pal. A penitentiary pal. The pen, that's what the pen, the pen is That's what the for. pen, yeah. <laughs> is she in prison? No, Tell me she's... more about Heidi Fleiss. <laughs> Pretend that you did research today on Heidi Fleiss and let's see what, how much you remember from when you were 12 and she was all over the news. <laughs> I think she's out of prison. She might be dead. Oh my God. Did the commish kill her? <laughs> <laughs> the scheduling, yeah. Scheduling and being on network TV will really do it to you. <laughs> In the residuals, am I right? <laughs> we LA Meekly stands with SAG after SAG afters. She's not dead. She's not. She's not dead. She's just in. Uh, Heidi, Heidi Fleiss is alive. She's at large. <laughs> uh, look, we we joke around. Our yes. new Patreon person, and 
trust me, they are funny jokes. <laughs> Our new Patreon person is not Heidi Fleiss. Our new Patreon person is Stacy Agapiu. Oh, hi, Stacy. I think that's how I pronounce Stacy's last name. I don't know. You haven't showed me. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of the patrons request, please don't tell Greg what my address is <laughs> yeah. or my name. He's going to send me a lot of stuff in the mail. Yeah. Sometimes it's you in the mail. You just show up and they open their mailbox and you come flying out like a tin of spam. I mean, if you have a mailbox of a certain height and a cer- of a certain, certain age. size, yeah, then of course I'm going to try to fit in it. <laughs> I don't want to. I just, there's some compulsion yeah. I have to try to fit into a large mailbox. <laughs> it's your inner rattlesnake. Coming out. <laughs> Thanks, Stacy, for being our, one of our postcard yeah, pals. I hope you. to send you a uh, postcard pretty soon. Uh, you know, she's mine first, okay? <laughs> I get first dibs on all of the new patrons. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. whatever's left, you can have. I get the scraps. Yeah, so if you want to become one of our patrons, go to patreon.com slash LA Meekly. Mm-hmm. And uh, for $5 a month, you will get a handwritten postcard every single month from us. Handwritten. Handwritten. And for less than that, you're just supporting us. But, you know, maybe Greg will show up in your mailbox. Something yeah. will show up in your mailbox. There's probably like a Patreon subscription level where I could just pop up in your mailbox. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't get anything today. Okay, Greg. And then he just closed the door on me. You're the like the pelican from the Flintstones yeah. that is their mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Toots. It's a living. <laughs> so uh, b- let's, uh, again, before we get even further into September, let's take now a little dip back into the month of August. Augie. And let's talk about uh, our thing of the month for oh. Augie. I can go first and fast because I really didn't do much this past month because, you know, a full-time job and I never have any money. Um, <laughs> one of the heads of my comedy Mount Rushmore died uh, August 1st, Paul Rubens, oh. P.B. Herman. I was thinking Gallagher 2 still alive. <laughs> but Greg, Jeff Dunham's doing fine. Phil Stiller's been dead for years, Greg. You didn't know? <laughs> Greg, what are you talking about? Josh Gad is on a TV show right now. <laughs> He's doing fine. Oh, no, you didn't hear about Josh Gad? Oh, no. Oh, no. He's Josh Dad. <laughs> Vidiots. I finally made the effort to go to a screening of Vidiots, and they were playing Pee-wee's uh, Big Adventure yesterday. Today is Paul Rubin's. We're recording today on Paul Rubin's birthday. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it would have been his 71st birthday if he had huh. made it. I, you know what? I was also going to say, is it Bob Barker? Because he just died yesterday. Yeah, he died comedy yesterday. icon Bob. Hey, he was in. Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Good. I, I was trying to decide. I was, you, it was 50-50. Is it Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore? You started Gilmore? the sentence full speed. Your arms went out ready to say the title. And I saw it in your face. Oh, no, I don't know the title of the movie. <laughs> hey, He's in Adam Sandler Project. Uh, hey, he was in Click. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. He's in Punch Drunk Love. Oh, no. <laughs> Bob Barker was the, he was the Furby in uh, Hard Times. What is that called? I don't know, good Times? No. The, the, what's oh, the, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Yeah. yeah. I knew it was uh, yeah something hard gems. <laughs> I finally went to a screening of idiots and it was Pee Wee's Big Adventure, a uh, packed house, sold out. A lot of people and a lot of kids, and it was really great seeing it with kids who were my who who are my, my age <laughs> when I saw it. Who okay. are currently the age I was when I first saw it. It was really cool seeing right. it with them. And uh, did they like it? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were. All the, I heard a lot of little kids laughing and a lot of kids being like, "What." What the? Why did he do that? What are bicycles? <laughs> Bicyclize. <laughs> uh, I realized I'd never seen it on the big screen before, and it was really cool. And I realized how much of my sensibilities come from a really easy thing, like a really non-scary thing happening, like 
like toast being wheeled across the room but because of danny elfman's score it seems terrifying (laughs) it's It's just like breakfast is being made and i'm I'm like why am i scared i'm nervous this is why you don't eat breakfast yeah this is why i don't eat breakfast. so i think i've had vidiots like my thing of the month for like 50 months in a row i was gonna jokingly say like is it vidiots this time but this time it's i went to a screening there and the theater's great and the crowd was great and i loved you know everything it looks beautiful there what is their screen is it just like a tarp they throw up yeah, it's like one of those inflatable ones. Like regurgitate? Yeah, regurgitate, yeah. No, it's like a regular... Bring out Tarpy. <laughs> Ooh, Tarpy, you made IMAX today. I, I would like to go there. Go. Where is it exactly? Because I thought it was like right next to the Bob Baker Theater, but when we were no. at the Bob Baker Theater, I did not see it. No, no, no. It's on Eagle, It's off of Eagle Rock Boulevard on Yosemite Drive. Um, um, it's closer to like... Um, it's Yosemite Sam's cousin. It's <laughs> he not big on the Second Amendment. <laughs> He's all about the Thirteenth Amendment. Wait, what's the what's the uh, what's the prohibition one? Nineteen. Nineteen, and then the twenty-one is repealing it. Right. Okay. Thirteenth Amendment, I think, is slavery. <laughs> Which one of those two? I have a feeling are not a supporter. Of. <laughs> Pick a random amendment and say he's a supporter of it. <laughs> he's going to plead the Thirteenth. That's all I have to say. It's at the um, the old Eagle Theater on Eagle Rock Boulevard. Okay. Is that near the bowling alley? It's not walking distance. Wait, no, that's the Highland Park bowling. I don't know. Again, this is a high fly situation all over again. There is a bowling alley on Eagle Rock Boulevard that's closed. That is the shot from Reservoir Dogs where they're walking the you know iconic the five or more walking in slow motion shot. But that place is closed Uh and it's not walking distance. Go ahead. What did you do this month? Well, let me tell you what I did. You uh, you look. We're both a little predictable this month. Sure. I went to a place to get food. Whoa! You eat? I ate food this month. (laughs) Um, My wife. Let me eat food this month. <laughs> I was a good boy. So my place is a place I've been wanting to go for a really long time. And I finally went there. It's the San Carlo Italian Deli in oh, Chatsworth. Wow, that sounds nice. San Carlo Italian Deli. San Carlo Italian Deli. We went there. We got sandwiches before the Hollywood Bowl, which I would have picked as my thing of the month. But we talked about the Hollywood Bowl nonstop in the last mm, episode. We did. We did. Favorite restaurant, the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> Uh, is that the place on Sherman Way? No, 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 no. Oh. That place we've been to together. I forget what that place is called, but that's what I was thinking it okay. was, but it's not. Okay. That's why I hadn't gone to this place. I was like, I've been there with Greg. I why would I go him, again? But, he stained, <laughs> he stained my memory. Yeah, why would I want to relive that? But this, it was really like, you know, it's it's they apparently used to have a location in Pacoima or something, okay. but then during the riots in 92, they got like completely do the right thing. Like it it was like the Italian restaurant to do the right, apparently. And they moved to this weird little strip mall in Chatsworth, but they're really the same. I got an eggplant Parmesan sandwich. It was really good. But while we were waiting, they gave us uh, a calzone. Oh my God. (laughs) They like cut a calzone in half and gave each of us half of it. And it was really, we found a rat sleeping on this. You can have it. All of our calzones are going bad. You got, you got to eat. <laughs> you got to eat this fast within the next fifteen minutes. Yeah, it, it was the calzones were the sandwiches really good. Oof, it's a good place. You're it, speaking my it's language a good, now. Uh, a good little sandwich shop. Yeah. As with all Italian delis, the woman behind the register scared me to no end with her uh, no nonsense attitude sure. because I am all nonsense, uh, yeah, especially yeah. when I. The second I walk into an Italian deli, Greg, where I can get whacked, according to <laughs> movies from the 70s, and I've, I've, I have no basis of in reality. Hey, it's a me, a customer. <laughs> That's the way I say when I come in. But yeah, San Carlo Italian Deli and Chats with good sandwiches. Maybe you'll get a free calzone. Hey, tell them L.A. Meekly sent you. <laughs> and maybe you will sleep with the fishes <laughs> because they give you fish also. But now let's get into our September 
episode. Yes. So what are, what are we covering this month? What are we talking about this month? You pitched this episode, but I, I don't remember the exact phrase you used, but I took it to mean ghost towns. I, I think I said lost cities. Yeah, that's what it was. Lost cities. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to finally share the secret of where Atlantis is. That's oh, what I wanted to get out of you this Burbank. month. Burbank. Oh, it's actually Orange County. That's why we can't talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's off limits. Um, it, it's just off the coast of Balboa Island. <laughs> so we're talking not like lost cities, mm-hmm. communities, communes, like sure. things that were started as sort of their own little slice of yeah. Los Angeles and now are just completely wiped from the map for one reason or another. Yeah, there was a famous one in Glendale. It's sort of like Glendale. Tropicana? Apple. Tropicana, Tropico. Oh. <laughs> so close, though. Was, were they near Sunkiss? <laughs> Tropico was a like a, a little I was, town that got absorbed by... Yeah, but um, they just... Because I thought Tropico was just sort of like what they originally originally called that area but maybe not yeah i didn't do the research i was looking up tropicana <laughs> i got eight pages on tropicana do you want to hear what I, um it's mostly just like ricky ricardo lyrics <laughs> hang on uh, I, I, according to this tropicana is baba lou <laughs> baba losing a lot of its funding tropical was yeah just a kind of a as far as i know i didn't really do research just re- what i remember reading in anything about glendale i had to do for the library it just got absorbed so like there's a lot of printed ads for like come move to tropical and then like but they just, still ex- i mean they're basically because like the places we're talking about are like are gone leveled. <laughs> yeah are gone they're just there's nothing that remains yeah. of this well well well, 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 well there well. are still demons yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ouija board with the candle lit that the fire never goes out that's still there there is still a pen standing straight up and <laughs> rotating okay but so okay so let's start with yours we're gonna okay let, let's hear what the hell you're talking about okay and it better be fruit juice related <laughs> Damn it. Oh, no, Fantaville. Oh, crap, Fantaville. <laughs> I had originally heard about this place a hundred years ago before I had ever considered doing a podcast about when LA history. When you first history. got bit. Yeah, right? yeah when, the, when the... I thought it was just a regular bat. <laughs> I thought it was just going to give me COVID. <laughs> I, if I remember correctly, I was at a horror convention. I don't remember which horror? one. Horror? Horror. Okay. Not like Heidi Fleiss. Not like a Heidi Fleiss We don't convention. use that word anymore. What, Heidi Fleiss? What, I, I, <laughs> well, uh, what? Thank you, 2023. I can't say Heidi Fleiss anymore. <laughs> I can't name names anymore. <laughs> a horror convention. And they had a talk on ghost towns. And a lot of people, I think it was run through Atlas Obscura. Oh, and it was a lot weird. of people who would go into like mine they would go into mines of ghost towns and stuff. And mines or Mayans? Oh, mm. what? I can't. Oh, big Aztec oh, is taking the Mayan. <laughs> oh, Spanish ships. And suddenly I can't talk about mines anymore. <laughs> but the person who, I I don't know if it was fellow Breakfast Clubber, Sammy Hammerline or not, who's giving the talk. But somebody brought up this ghost town that is, let me let me just, we'll start. Take take me there. Let, let's, hey, it's not Halloween yet, but we are talking ghost towns. We probably should have saved this episode for next month. Maybe. <laughs> um, most likely, yeah. <laughs> When you hear the words ghost town, you think abandoned mining camp in a nowhere town, a small clump of acres with a scattering of shacks and a bunch of abandoned mining tools, the kind of old west town offered in the boonies of northern or central California or Arizona or New Mexico. But what if I told you... That there's a, I'm in. I buy. Well, yeah, yeah. Also, I'll, I'll invest. Yeah, whatever. New, the New Mexico one. That's the one that I like. Do the that one. What if I told you that a ghost town lies in the middle of Los Angeles, along the coast, beside a busy stretch of road, and directly under the path of air travel? I would slap you right in the face if you told me that. Teeth out. <laughs> I would knock your dentures. Oh, no. I told <laughs> oh, no, people you I have dentures. It. Oh, no. I'd knock your wig off. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I'd knock off your fake nose like, uh, oh, God, what's his invisible name? Invisible Man? The, the Invisible Man, but also, um, oh, my God, what's his name? 
uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Who's that? Oh, Cyrano. Yeah, Got Cyrano. It. Oh, 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 Cyrano. Oh, Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> this is a ghost town known as Palisades del Rey, once a small beachside community now fenced off from the general public. Like a gated community without the community, basically. Okay. It's a gate. It's the gate. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the ta- you're looking at a gate. That's the whole town. <laughs> a ghost town is it's the notes inside of the gate. <laughs> it's a community that's not there. <laughs> that's what I'm... Uh, there it is. That, there it is. To this day, this area has paved streets, streetlights, fire hydrants, street signs, and land where homes were once built and then later demolished. This area is west of LAX between Imperial Highway and Playa del Rey and just across Vista del Mar from the beach. You may have driven past Palisades del Rey dozens of times, not realizing there was a story to tell. Well, so the streets is. are still here or are there? They're, they're, um, streets are around it still function, but this little area is cordoned, cordoned off with paved streets. Cordoned off. It's cordoned off uh, with like paved streets. It, oh, weird. Yeah. Are you sure it's not just tarmacs from LAX? Oh, the uh-huh. streets are used by jumbo jets. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they're extra big. That's where they're like six lanes deep. So the plane. It all starts with a real estate company named Dickinson and Gillespie, who established themselves in Minneapolis and came to Southern California in 1921. The president of the company is a man named Fritz Burns, who is said to have a knack for property development. He leapt into action in L.A., buying up and selling acreage as quick as he could. It said that he'd offer rides on the company's biplane, a kind of like new invention to prospective clients. So like, look at the plan. You You can't talk on a biplane, but whatever. You know what I mean? With this level of showmanship and pizzazz, Dickinson and Gillespie managed to sell 36 subdivisions of the LA area in three years, like little nook and cranny areas like Hollydale Gardens, Ulta Manor, Orange Blossom Manor, Poppy Fields, Highway Highlands, and Hollywood Laurel Grove. Hmm. These like I'd live in Highway Highlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> it sounds like a country song. It sounds like something that Towns Van Zandt would sing about. It's said that he oversaw 50 successful residential developments in the LA area by the end of the 20s. He would later become the man in the 70s would become the man who developed Panorama City. Oh, that's weird. It's very weird. What's his name again? Fritz Burns. Fritz Burns. I thought I figured his name would be Panorama. Johnny Panorama. Johnny Panorama. Yeah, Johnny Panorama. He, he could see all around. <laughs> uh, that's weird. It wasn't Panorama City like a car like basically built around the car factory that was over oh, there. Oh, I don't know. I didn't look into Panorama City at all because no, no. it's still there. You know, it's not a ghost <laughs> no, town. No, it's a ghost town. No, I don't even been to that mall. It's a ghost town to real estate people. Okay. Uh huh. 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 It was so. What if it's North Hollywood's older brother, grosser older brother? That's not true. I don't know anything about it. So as we learned a few episodes back, Ali was going through an oil boom. Hey, North Hollywood's gross too. Not the grossest, but certainly on, <laughs> certainly in the middle somewhere. I mean, it's not as gross as Hollywood. It's not as gross as gross. It's it, this grossness is just right. So we learned a few episodes back. Ali was going through an oil boom in the twenties thanks to a number of big oil strikes, like Signal Hill or Venice Beach or Doheny's downtown oil well. People all over LA, specifically along the coast, were buying up land big enough for a house, but were instead using it to drill for oil, like as many as three or four wells on a property. We right. learned uh, many times over. Mm-hmm. Many people were doing. Uh, yeah. Many people were doing this simultaneously. There was also a housing boom with people buying up a land people big enough for a house to put a house houses. on it. Yeah, they were drilling for houses. You can have like four four houses looking for bigger houses <laughs> along the coast. Homes and oil derricks were competing for space, and I think we brought this up many times before. But the rich were not moving along the coast because there were so many oil derricks mm-hmm. it was considered like a bad area okay but that would change with one of the most contentious areas change with surfing with, with surfing with the invention of the beach boys when they drew they finally struck the beach boys we got we got a mic here he's oh he's a gusher 
<laughs> Unfortunately, he's a gusher. <laughs> he's a gusher for Trump. Yeah. <laughs> it said, or at least one article said, that what caused a housing boom along the coast was in 1921 or 1924. I read both. When Dickinson and Gillespie purchased and further developed Playa del Rey. So they start okay. like trying to actively push like this is an area for the elite, for the Hollywood people to live on the coast. Right. Dickinson Gillespie advertises coastal area as a postcard beach dreamland with sand dunes, lovely yeah. cottages, and a, and the stones throw from the creeping waves of the Pacific. Creeping waves. Creeping waves <laughs> of the Pacific. The southern portion of this postcard acreage makes up Palisades del Rey, making up about a stretch of about three miles. In 1925, Dickinson and Gillespie held a contest to name this subdivision of coastal land. I guess like Palisades del Rey is the whole area. And it mostly becomes Playa del Rey. But this little area we're going to be talking about today is not necessarily Palisades del Rey. It gets a new name. Okay. The winner of this contest was A.F. Halbrick, who, along with his $1,000 prize, got to see his name enter city history, Surf Ridge. Okay. So this area that we've been talking about is called Surf Ridge. And then the name was fallen out of L.A. city history because well, they're kind of, it's a forgotten city. Basically, yeah. We just scrapped the whole thing. Surf <laughs> He's Ridge, the staple center of L.A. history. Is, yeah. Surf Ridge uh, is now Crypto.com. <laughs> Crypto.beach. Yeah. Crypto, crypto beach dot, yeah dot USA. <laughs> Crypto.com slash beach forward slash colon surfs up <laughs> with a hyphen in between surfs and yeah. up. The, uh, it be- optimizes their SEO, which is surf. <laughs> Surf enough, Olay. Because we're in California. When in California, you know. This won over 62,000 other titles. 62,000? Uh, there were that many people in the city that were entering contests? I, no, I wonder how many people entered many times. Oh, right. Yeah. No, it na- name it. Yeah, name it Hollywood again. Um, <laughs> Surfer Ridge was chosen for its brevity, ease of pronunciation, appropriateness, adaptability to advertising purpose, and because it most satisfactorily tells the story of a new wonder city at sea. Is Surf Ridge is what it's called? Surf Ridge. I wouldn't know. I don't know if that's necessarily easy to pronounce it's, surf ridge it also sounds like surf ridge surf ridge oh, oh, oh i didn't know surf ridge was here please, please let me chill some stuff for you it's sir refrigerator to you the entire area began to get <laughs> he like opens up his top door and yeah, hits you in the hits face, you in the face yeah the entire area began to get developed in the i mid- challenge you to a cool <laughs> thank you that's very funny i um want to delete the whole thing uh, <laughs> the entire area began to de- get developed in the mid 20s with homes being custom built and like i said focused the clientele on being the rich hollywood elite this included cecil b demille mm-hmm. who had a house there actor charles bickford who i never heard of before and voice legend mal blanc among oh, many wow. others uh cecil b surfing by the way <laughs> the area quickly got populated and filled with lavish spanish style homes mm-hmm. at the base of the bluffs burns built the delray beach club and to further lure buyers to Surf Ridge, the company donated land for a university to be built. Oh, wow, this, be- this is like a its own city. Yeah, as, as, as this episode, as you're is. learning. Yeah, this donated land became Loyola Marymount University. Uh, Harry okay. Culver, of course, city oh, that stretched really far. Then N- I think they donated land uh, that not. wasn't. Uh, maybe they owned land elsewhere. It, it, it's not close to this i don't think yeah harry culver of culver city and burns also jointly donated 100 acres of the bluffs west of lincoln boulevard to build a lutheran college which never came to fruition oh Oh, i wanted to go now i just have to go to methodist college Uh, the early years of Surfridge were successful, selling $4 million worth of residential property in the area, roughly $50 million today. Part of the selling point for this land was that it was advertised, I don't know how true this is, as the last stretch of uninhabited coastline in Los Angeles. Okay. 
Um, I thought nobody lived on the coast right? because of the oil. I was kind of curious. This is like, I, I, I can't keep track of when all the oil starts happening. It's like 19s, <laughs> right? And then after that, people start like, oh, maybe. I think this is when it starts to turn, if okay. I read correctly. Dickinson and Gillespie salesmen set up tents on the sand dunes of Surferage and sold lots for $50 down and 36 monthly payments of $20. Because of the coastal air, the exteriors of the homes were could only be stucco, brick, or stone since metal and wood would erode under hmm. the coastal air and everything. Frame structures were prohibited. The planned business district would be at the focal point of five major highways at the rear of the development. By 1924, 800 families purchased home sites at Surferage. Wow. And they were all Mel Blanc characters, they different were, voices. Of yeah, Mel Blanc. he had a, a house for. It's how he stayed in character. His <laughs> method. He bought a. This is Bug's house. A little different. Different. The year was 1929, and Fritz Birds bought out Dickinson and Gillespie, the company he worked for. Nothing is going to stop me now. In 1929, oh, except the stock market crash, <laughs> and with that, the self-made millionaire foaming at the mouth with optimism was instantly broke. His wife divorced him. He had to sell. <laughs> he invested. He shouldn't have invested all of his love in the stock market. <laughs> stock market. Stock market. <laughs> he had to sell his mansion he built in Surfridge and lived on a tent on the beaches of Dockwater, where he could see his mansion from. <laughs> he could see like the IRS taking brick by yeah, brick, brick out of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily for birds, he was able to put enough money together to buy up the athlete shacks after the thirty-two Olympics were done, <laughs> and he was able to rent those out. In night, I know the famously desperate. the famously well built Olympic <laughs> villages he was renting out. So that's like around where uh, what's it called park is. Um, oh yeah, you said you brought it up one time. Oh, God, what is that park called? Why can't I? Why can't? Is it Heidi Fleiss Park? What is <laughs> it? What is that? Oh my God, what is it called? The, I don't remember. You did research on it. No, Hermanson. What is it? Allymeekly.com and look it up. Now. <laughs> Your source for all information. Yeah, um, Kenneth Hahn. Kenneth Hahn. Kenneth Hahn. Not at State all Park. the name I was thinking nope, of. Nope. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> all right. Go proceed. Okay. I don't know what I was saying about it. <laughs> it was close to that. He was yeah, right, right, yeah, the that's, that's where the Olympic, there was like an Olympic village. Yeah. Olympic village was there. In 1934, he shot back to the top when oil was discovered on one of his properties at Manchester and Delaney. He went on from there to develop Windsor Hills, Westside Village, and Toluca Woods, which mm. almost sounds like budget versions of the towns we know. I think Toluca Woods. What is Toluca Woods? I don't know. I didn't look into it. It must be a portion of Toluca Lake. Yeah. It's next to Toluca Lake, the Toluca Woods. The, <laughs> it's where it's where Bob Hope goes to camping and stuff. He goes camping and makes demonic sacrifices <laughs> in the Toluca Woods. I need to live for another hundred years. <laughs> Wait, okay. I don't want to make a cheap joke about Bob Hope. Is he the one? No, uh, yeah. Bob Hope was the cheap one. No, or Jack, Jack Benny was, was the cheap, cheap one. one. Okay. I once again apologize. The for Jack what? Benny estate. To the Jack Benny. No, I don't apologize to that cheapo. <laughs> I apologize to the generous estate of Bob Hope once again. <laughs> I didn't mean to say he was cheap. Yeah, or that he sacrificed people. No, I should probably not that say that. I stand behind. <laughs> for Surfridge, property sales dipped during the Grand Old Depression, but picked back up in the late 30s and through the 50s. Around the late 20s, before Burns went bust, a 640-acre lot of land just across the way was now functioning as an airfield. Mm. This was Minesfield, mm. which we did an episode on, and it was a perk at the time because air travel was not commercial, and because people like Amelia Earhart and Charles Lindbergh would fly in, that was exciting. You'd get air shows and stuff. like So living by the beach, but then- You could hear his slurs from your back patio. Yeah, you, you would get a leaflets bombed about eugenics. So they would have air <laughs> did shows. Did he say cruise or another <laughs> word that sounds like that? 
This airfield would be Surfridge's undoing. Okay. Because, well... So, how close was it? It was like... I, I've driven to Surfridge before thinking I could sneak in. <laughs> Surfridge is on your right. You're on a big sort of highway-type road. And then literally on my left is the gates to go to LAX. Okay. It's, they're across the street Which, from That's what Dante had to pass through. It's one of the rings. <laughs> one of, you know, the ones for the dwarves. Uh, yeah, whatever. The, you know, sticks. He had to throw the <laughs> ring and sticks or something. I, don't remember. I didn't really. Dante's Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Because while for decades, many residents lured to coexist with the noise from propeller planes, jet engines were impossible to ignore. Right. During the jet set heydays of the 1960s, the implementation of jet engines on commercial planes made life in Surfridge almost unlivable. It's funny that like all of these, you know, like the fight of, you know, there's one thing, the pollution flight of like yeah. fight of like the flights um, yes. going, you know, a hundred feet over this house and they're dumping jet fuel or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But then there's still the fights of like people in the hills of Sherman Oaks are like, rearrange the flight path of yeah. Burbank. I can't, I can't be in my spa <laughs> at 2 p.m. on a Monday and hear airplanes yeah. going over. I can't. How am I supposed to meditate? Yeah. If I can hear a plane, <laughs> uh, it, it sounds like because they were directly under the air path their entire lives revolved around planes, right. sounds right. of planes. Well, good thing they solved that. <laughs> <laughs> As we learned before, the LAX, the International Airport, kept growing to accommodate the major metropolitan area Los Angeles had become. And as we learned, as soon as they were done renovating, the time it took to add things was enough time for the problem to progress. So another additional renovation would occur and so on and so on. And the needs for a runway space grew and grew. Right. You, I remember you talking about like, yeah. it would take them five years to put another lane in a bigger parking lot. By the time they had fixed that, yeah. it, the, the population had doubled once again. <laughs> good thing they solved that problem. <laughs> this was the mid 60s now and the needs of alex reached an all-time high what alex needed was surfridge many residents were so fed up at this point they were happy to leave so the city of los angeles pushed by the department of airports condemned the beach town of surfridge under the power of eminent domain what so was this still a rich community no i don't oh, okay. I, I feel like it initially started that, that way that makes more sense yeah i was thinking like wow they took out a they, they went killed instead Blanc. of right <laughs> They, kill, they, they they put Dead Man's Curve right in the middle of his road <laughs> just to get rid of Mel Blanc. It was actually just a painting on a wall of Dead Man's Curve and he <laughs> fell for it. They hired this guy, uh, Wile something, <laughs> and uh, he gets the job done. Yeah, they, they sort of... Um they're not doing. They're not doing business with Acme anymore. So they <laughs> they were they, bought out by Kellogg. Yeah. <laughs> Surfridge was condemned. Uh, city puts eminent domain in. So they this gave them the power to buy all the homes in the area. Gave residents the money to move, and then they demolished all the homes that once occupied this area. An entire history lost to the memory posted on blogs. Now it's the only way this is remembered. <laughs> then the area is now surrounded by a chain link fence, which is pretty much impenetrable to get through. Although I don't, I, I don't have no idea. What do you need? Like clippers or something? Like, or like a bun, like a a, a trap. <laughs> impossible Imp it'll never happen but i don't know how people are getting in there and taking pictures but some people seem like they're getting in there and taking pictures you can walk around the perimeter though and kind of mm. get an idea of like oh that used to be like an area alex has seemingly never done anything with the space other than fly planes over it the cement streets remain although cracked with weeds coming through them lane strips and sidewalks let you know that humans were meant to be kept safe here Weeds are knee high. Lampposts stand without any light coming oh, up for wow, decades. Oh wow, that's weird that there's still lampposts. There's still lampposts. Yeah, a plane could hit that. The way I fly, <laughs> low and slow. <laughs> that way, I don't get picked up on the radar. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they'll think I'm a UFO or whatever they're calling them now. <laughs> but to say there's no life in the surfridge is incorrect. 
because this cordoned off space, three miles of it, are now a protected habitat for the federally oh. designated endangered species, the El Segundo blue butterfly, and like oh. 90 other plants and animals. The butterflies survive. Why can't on- we just break in there and step on all the butterflies? <laughs> I can't want to throw rocks at them. <laughs> Your bugs like any other bugs. I'm not supposed to smash you. The butterflies survive on coastal buckwheat that grows on 200 acres of old surf ridge. The main threat these butterflies face is the destruction to its habitat, which was by the industrialization of Alex and the Chevron refinery plant mm. who removed the buckwheat that the butterflies depended on. It's perhaps the El Segundo blue butterfly and other flora and fauna that is keeping the memory of surf ridge alive and making it sure we get a little weird beach ghost town in L.A. I'd like to see these blue butterflies. Me too. I'm, I, I, I'm so used to the monarchs and like, I get it. You're orange and black Halloween. Fine, give me a little blue. Yeah, give me the blue. I've seen the yellow. Come on. I want to see the Hanukkah butterflies. Uh, yeah, this is, oh, so we're putting all the blue butterflies behind a gate now. I see what's happening. They had a word for this in 1943. Uh, yeah, when your town was built. <laughs> I'd like to see, they, they should do like, um, you know, like a, a guided tour they through should. these so that I you agree. can learn the history and see the animals. I agree. We, we should get, we can have a drone uh, flies in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's there. It's, I think Sandpiper. Some sort of butterfly killing drone. Yeah. Like with a lot of propellers. <laughs> like that suck things in. Yeah. 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 That pull them out of their, their, <laughs> pull them out of the air. And no it also runs on buckwheat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, you can still drive around the perimeter. I've been wanting to walk around the perimeter, but it would mean I have to get to work like two hours <laughs> early to do it before a full shift. So maybe I won't be doing it. <laughs> hey, next time you fly out of LAX, show up a little early yeah. and uh, go, to, go <laughs> sneak into a forbidden area. Yeah. Go get arrested before a flight. Then you can't get a refund on. Yeah, get on a get on a list of some kind. <laughs> also, if you sneak in, you do technically join Al Qaeda. So, <laughs> I got to put you on the Al Qaeda list. They'll, they'll be calling you in a couple of days. Say what you will about Al Qaeda, great preservationists <laughs> of butterflies. Well, let's let's go on to my lost yes, city. Please. So mine mine is a little further north. Okay, and uh, it, this is a place I would also like to go to because there are still things to see here. Mm-hmm. But I'm also scared of the part of town that it's in. Okay, see no Rio, speak no Rio, Yano Rio. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to be talking about the long lost utopian city of Yano del Rio. Do you know about anything about this? I know about nothing this? about this. I had heard wisp. You know, like every, like everything we've ever talked about. Like every five years, some news outlets some news outlet like the commission say will come out with like have you heard of yano del rio yeah and and it's something that's been on my radar and i didn't know anything about and it's uh pretty crazy Mm -hmm. so let's get wild take your medication (laughs) or forget to take your medication Uh, (laughs) yeah keep the pills at home today (laughs) because we're going a little cuckoo (laughs) but before i hand you these two tickets to paradise Mm -hmm. we must first learn about the eddie money behind all of this or rather, the Eddie hates money. Job Harriman, the socialist. Oh my God. Which I had, for most of my research, I was reading it as Job Harriman. That's and then I realized, stupid. oh yeah. Oh, this is a, a 20-year-old joke now <laughs> from Arrested Development. Um, <laughs> well, because I, I was thinking, oh, G-O-B. Oh, right. Gob. Gob. He's Job. Right. Not J O B, like that's the actual job. Yeah, job. that's job. Yeah, it's a it's a whole religious thing. I don't know who's Job. <laughs> I don't get. I I don't really know who Job is, but Job Herman. But I thought it was funny that this socialist who like hates his the establishment is, is named Job. <laughs> so born in October of eighteen sixty one in that's Indiana. So that's so far away. Were there even socialists back then? <laughs> did money exist? Um, he did what any boy in Indiana would do: lived on a farm and got TB. 
He grew up to go to the Northwest Christian University in Irvington, Indiana, where he became an ordained minister. But after three years, he got sick of God and all his whiny followers and quit the church to go to Colorado College in Colorado Spring, Colorado to become a lawyer, Colorado. Job got sick of God. Yeah. Uh, I think I've read this story before. <laughs> Why did he kill his brother? I don't know. <laughs> I don't read it. Yeah. Something, something about a, a pillar of salt. A hill. They went on a hill to kill a baby. Um, <laughs> and then he said, don't kill the baby. Kill this goat instead. Yeah. Um, but the goat is not the this mama? goat's baby. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What I don't, yeah. And then they opened a banana stand. There's always salvation in the banana stand. I don't know what's happening in the Bible. So in 1886, he moved to San Francisco, whereas is the law for any 25-year-old, he started to get into politics in San Francisco. It's gold or politics. You got to pick one if you're going to San Francisco. Gold politics or marijuana. Yeah. Or cash. No one rides for free. Nobody serves the proletariat for free. (laughs) So he became very interested in new ideas and even founded a group called Fish, uh, (laughs) called the Pacific Nationalist Club, which sounds scary, but actually just discussed progressive ideas, which is where he was introduced to the idea of socialism. Uh, This was a time when unions were hated all across America. Oh, uh, yeah. The the distant memory. (laughs) Distant memory of um, a bunch of... Get back to work. You make $50,000 for five years. Get back to work. If you're real good, I'll give you another quarter. And if you work for another five years. So... People were working in this time in America. The average work week was 10 hour days, six days a week. That's what people worked. So to a compassionate man who thought there was a better way, a system of government where people were valued ahead of money made a lot of sense. So he started using his lawyering powers for good and would defend people who were enemies of businesses and tyrants. Okay. That's who he would defend. Cool. You're Joseph Stalin's. You're... uh, (laughs) So he was also very charismatic and kind of looked like Jordan Schlansky, but with TB. Um, so George Schlansky. By 1898, he was living down in LA in Highland Park, making kind of near Vidiot, right? Mm, yeah. He was the original Vidiot, <laughs> making a name for himself as a progressive lawyer. And that year, he actually ran for governor of California as the candidate for the Socialist Labor Party on the platform of workers' rights and racial equality. So, of course, he lost, but that wasn't going to stop this socialist. Just two years later, in the year 1900, he became the first socialist nominee for president of the United States. Whoa. How did that go? I mean, unions rule the whole country now and things are great. Everyone gets paid a fair wage. Look at your $10 bill. Tell me who's on it. Look at your $10 bill. Doesn't exist. (laughs) There is no money. Because we barter for everything. (laughs) We don't pay with money. We pay with really good ideas. (laughs) That's how we get our coffee. However... His Socialist Labor Party decided to run on a joint ticket with the Socialist Democrats, and in doing so, they forced him to step down to vice presidential nominee to make way for Eugene V. Debs, who was the first socialist to actually run for president. So he was just the first one nominated, but the first campaign was Eugene V. Debs, but he was the vice president. They were running on a platform of workers' rights and racial equality, so of course they lost. To William McKinley and Theodore Roosevelt, who went on to be assassinated and kill a buffalo, respectively. (laughs) So it could. I, I, you're saying there's a correlation between the two things? Is that what you're saying? Man destroys president. <laughs> Buffalo destroys man. <laughs> Socialists. Socialists never inherit the earth. <laughs> so, yeah. So it could have. Imagine, you know, instead of Theodore Roosevelt, we had 
socialists. Yeah. Another big loss for Harriman, but even so, people nationwide became aware of him and his ideas, and they were fans of his. He was like the Bernie Sanders of his day right. with TV. Sure. So, <laughs> so, so Bernie Sanders. Sanders. <laughs> yeah. So he returned to LA and continued his political crusade, and his career in this time frame was pretty much defined by two cases. The first was his defense of Ricardo Flores Magón mm. oh, Magón in 1907, who is the man whose ideas helped spark the Mexican Revolution. Oh, wow. So at the time, he w- Magón was living in exile in L.A., hiding from Mexican President Porfirio Diaz, which yeah. was a bad coincidence since one of the men who controlled the puppet strings of L.A. at the time was Harrison Gray Otis of the L.A. Times, who was a good friend and collaborator of Porfirio Jesus Diaz. Christ. This story, um, you know, we talked about the bad things Harrison Gray Otis did. Yeah. This story gives even more shading to that of like, yeah. oh, he's not just, he's shady. Yeah. Like these are some bad things. Capital S shady. Yeah. <laughs> Otis couldn't do anything tangible to Magone in LA, but what he could do was slander the man who represented him, Job Harriman. Okay. Because of this and his overall socialist pro-union leanings, the famously evil Harrison Gray Otis hated Job Harriman forever. Okay. And it kind of can't be overstated how much of a negative influence Otis had on LA. He was the mouthpiece of Los Angeles, pretty much. Like if what what he wanted in the newspaper in the biggest newspaper in the city went. So whatever his leanings were were disseminated to the general public. He prevented progress in the workplace and he prevented progress on social issues. As well by both swaying public opinion with his newspaper and also manipulating the politicians that he had in his pocket because he was also ridiculously wealthy. Yeah, He made it so that you needed a permit to assemble publicly, but oddly, the city never seemed to grant permits to <laughs> socialist gatherings, which always ended in arrests by the LAPD, yeah. but he always seemed to give permits to gather to evangelical groups. Look or at not that. him, the city. The city. The would. city. I hate him. Go ahead. <laughs> but a great newspaper to this day. Great hat. So Otis kind of made free speech illegal in Los Angeles, which was everything Joe Harriman was fighting for, free speech. The second big case of his career was one we're all too familiar with, the bombing of the LA Times building sure. on October 1st, 1910, one month from today. Harriman was the associate lawyer of Clarence Darrow, who was defending the McNamara brothers. Right. This, of course, was a very high-profile case, and in L.A., people were on the McNamara side because initially it was believed that they were being framed by Otis as part of his efforts to crush unions. Mm-hmm. Around the same time, people all over the city were also going on strike left and right for better wages and being arrested left and right under Otis's anti-picketing ordinance and defending a lot of these people as well was Joe Perriman. Okay. So with this, let's just say political cred sky high in the city, Harriman thought, well, they wouldn't elect a socialist as president. They wouldn't elect a socialist as governor. Maybe the time was right for the city of Los Angeles to elect a socialist as mayor. Oh, socialist mayor. I like oh, the yeah. sound of that. That's good. <laughs> hey, cab. Um, so he, so he launched a campaign to be elected mayor, mayor who would bring fair wages and socialism to the city. One of his slogans was fight Otis, organize the city and elect a socialist mayor, Job Harriman. <laughs> he puts it all on the poster. <laughs> He put it all out there. His famous slogan that was like a pamphlet long. <laughs> and it actually looked like it might work. The right. LA Times bombing united the interests of both union leaders and socialists to push for someone who would bring about something better for the city. And socialist Harriman was the answer they were looking for. Okay. The union people liked him because he was pro-union and the Democrats even liked him because he had liberal leanings, but was more moderate than, say, a pinko commie. Sure. And guess what? Joe Harriman won the election Whoa. in the, the first round, at least, of okay. the election but it wasn't enough of a majority, so it went to a runoff. Okay. However, 
in the time between this first round and the runoff, the McNamara's pleaded guilty to the bombing that killed 21 people. And suddenly unions and socialism were an ugly, violent word again to Los Angeles. It happened real fast. Yeah. to, To anybody kind of paying attention, socialists were anarchists and they would kill just to make a point. So the people of LA turned their back on socialism kind of forever. And Harriman lost the election by 34,000 votes to George Alexander. He ran again in 1913, but he lost again, that time only by 800 votes, though, because I guess in two years, everyone forgot what socialism was. (laughs) But yeah, that that was like, it was almost, it was so close. And since then, like, never, never again. Wait, the reputation that the bombing had was just so... It's what it's lasted for over a hundred years yeah, now. Yeah. So now, what does any of this have to do with the lost city of Yano del Rio? Shut up, and I'll explain. <laughs> no, I have a couple more questions. Uh, who, who, so who who are we talking about? So where does Che Guevara fit into this? <laughs> After these defeats, Harriman got sick of the world of politics. Not just he, he had. TB do. Yeah, he's regular sick too. <laughs> he lost hope in socialism getting any political power in the US anytime soon, and he wanted action. He felt political action was too conservative, and socialism would never prevail through the political machine that was in place. Uh. He wanted to do something radical, like bombing the LA Times. <laughs> uh, so he pretty much broke ties with the socialist political party, but not with the ideology of socialism. And he decided to create a real world example that would show the world what socialism could do. A model socialist community that he could point to and say, see, it does work. Yeah, look at that. Another model community, just like another Job we know from (laughs) popular culture. A one Job. (laughs) So how was he going to essentially create a new city with a form of government never really tested in the United States? Yeah. Easy, go to Palmdale. Oh, boy. That's why I'm afraid to visit. I'm afraid yeah. of Palmdale. Palmdale's, um, I, I think the mayor of Palmdale is like an ATV. <laughs> it's an ATV with a crown on it. <laughs> and uh, not just the good people of Palmdale. Uh, no, just your mayor. <laughs> I mean, it is your mayor, right? I mean, tell me it's not your mayor. Yeah. And your vice president is just like a uh, crunch rap supreme. <laughs> Oh, rude. Or what would eventually become Palmdale. So that area. So Harriman paid a guy named James L. Stanley $25 to go scout a big, cheap swath of land he could build a city on. And what he found was a former temperance colony way up north of L.A. next to the Big Rock Creek Mm. and Antelope Valley. Okay. The area was called Llano del Rio Ranchero, which meant plain by the river Ranchero. And it was owned by the Mescal Land and Water Company, who sold 9,000 acres of it to Harriman for $80,000, which included the water rights to the Big Rock Creek. Now you might be thinking, this is a lot of money flying around for a socialist. (laughs) Harriman was a socialist through and through, but he recognized that in order to get something like this done, a little good old-fashioned American capitalism would be needed to start. And also, some elements of capitalism would have to be involved, at least at first, so that people who he was essentially be going to ask to abandon society as they knew it Mm. to make them feel more comfortable as they transitioned into a new form of of living. Uh, Yeah. So so it was, it was, I think I I used the word later, but socialist capitalism, basically. Okay. Like it, 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 it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. The greed of capitalism (laughs) and the the, the nonsense of socialism (laughs) and the pomposity of socialism. (laughs) So to do this, Harriman, working out of his office in the Higgins building at 2nd and Main downtown, created Mm -hmm. a socialist society by first creating a corporation. Okay. He formed the Llano del Rio Company on October 10th, 1913 that bought this land, 
Now, the way this was going to work was the corporation owned the land and the people who would be moving there would have to buy into shared ownership of the land in the form of $2,000 worth of shares of the land like a co-op. Okay. Nobody got any more shares. Nobody got any less shares. In return for this, you were provided the shelter, food, health care, and education for your children or yourself if you wanted. And you would be assigned a job on the land to help contribute based on your abilities and were paid $4 a day to do so. And you would have a five-day eight-hour work week okay, and two weeks of vacation a year, which was actually great considering the average pay in LA at the time was two fifty a day for mm-hmm. six 10-hour work days. Yeah, that's much better. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a socialist amount better. <laughs> if you couldn't quite afford this buy-in, you were able to have a maximum of three-fourths of your shares bought on credit and one dollar out of your four dollars a day went towards what you owed until that was paid off. Okay. There were occasions where people could barter their way into owning shares if they could provide something to the community of high enough value. Like one guy had a full sawmill set up complete oh, wow. with oxen, so they let him in because he could help them make lumber. His name was Paul Bunyan. Um, so, <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> a, kind of a big deal, but not a big deal. Um, since everyone was part owner of this community... The leftover surplus money at the end of the year from the produce and goods they planned to make and sell from there would be divided evenly among the residents. Okay. But he needed recruits or colonizers, as they proudly refers to themselves Ooh. as. Um, they put out ads in Western Comrade magazine, which they eventually <laughs> bought to be their personal platform that asked, are you tired of the struggle in the cut through competitive system, offering people an escape from the maelstrom of the struggle for existence, multitudinous bills, the roar of fruitless promises, and also also traffic could use a second draft maybe trim maybe shave reading some of the quotes of like them promoting this and the way that otis in the la times was like slamming them yeah that like wow the flowery language that used to be yeah. and now it's like if it has more than four letters don't use it <laughs> if it doesn't fit in a hashtag don't use it <laughs> yeah hashtag maelstrom <laughs> hashtag harriman is a cat <laughs> So Harriman also had sales agents in LA that would recruit people for a commission. People started applying, but to do so, you had to have three references, be sober, and answer correctly questions like, do you believe in the profit system? And is happiness a state of mind or dependent upon affluent material conditions? Uh, Oh, and you also had to be white. Oh, non-white people did apply, but Harriman claimed that people of color weren't allowed in his utopia of a human harmony, not due to race prejudice, but because it was not deemed expedient to mix the races in these communities, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> it's not due to racism. I just think that your race will slow down the progress. But because it's not biologically, racist. you are slower. Um, yeah, I don't <laughs> know what asshole. the... Uh, uh, if not just outright racism, maybe they're thinking like, let's deal with one problem. Like, let's oh. <laughs> let's not try to solve the problem of white and other people getting along. Let's try to first solve the problem of money and people yeah. getting along. But oh, like, cool. So you let like a people of color come in first. Uh, no, whites first. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you get it. I don't you know if you it. heard me use the word utopia. Um, <laughs> it's not utopia. Yeah, it's us. Utopia. <laughs> what an ass. So yeah, that's kind of a you know, all of this is like, wow, what a yeah, idea. Wow. And then you read that of like, oh, oh right, okay. <laughs> right, oh right, it was the 1920s. <laughs> so in the end, they were able to wrestle up enough people, some from the Young People's Socialist League, some from California, some from other parts of the country, some from Europe. The first to join was Millie Miller, who was Harriman's stenographer and also a superhero. (laughs) 
and on May Day, 1914, the first five families moved to the Llano del Rio cooperative colony with five pigs, two horses, one cow, and a wagon. (laughs) What more could five families ask for? Harriman saw Yano as the Plymouth Rock of the Cooperative Commonwealth and that he and the settlers were an army of cooperation. You, I, I feel like any minute now you're going to be like, yeah, well, they kind of mansoned out. That's what, you know, I was trying to, when I was reading about all this, I'm like, okay, so when do they all shave their heads? Yeah, when do they shave their heads and carve swastikas in their forehead? <laughs> when do they go try to kill Sharon Tate's grandparents? Yeah, when when does that, when does the ball drop? The thing about this is that there's no religion involved. Sure. Like nobody at any point was like, well, I'm God. Well, clearly I'm God. <laughs> I don't know if you saw, I have long hair and I'm a boy. Yeah, it, it never crossed into that. Okay. But yeah, I was waiting for it the whole time. So he said, we will show the world a trick they do not know, which is how to live without war or interest on money or rent on land or profiteering in any manner. But he also knew that this wasn't going to be easy. He said, what we must know isn't in any book. We've got to go out and discover it by trial and error from the ground up. And it's going to be tough and tough. It was. It's true. Like nobody knew how nobody still knows how to successfully run a socialist society without it turning into a dictatorship or something like that. Or the sort family. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a cult. I just want you all to sleep with me. Yeah. (laughs) We're all equal here. Just me. I'm just more equal. Yeah. And I get to paraglide whenever I want and you don't. They were kind of marketing the place as being this Eden in Palmdale, you know, where Job is from. Yeah. Eden in Palmdale. Why be redundant? But when people started arriving, it most definitely was not Eden. It was just a a craggly swath of high desert. It was their job to turn it into Eden. So in those earliest days, people were just clearing land and digging ditches for irrigation and sewage. Oh, the glamour. Oh, socialism. (laughs) How how to sign me up? (laughs) They were living in either glorified tents or just tents. They were hit by a lot of storms that would destroy their work and blow their glorified tents and just tents away. Yeah, They had to work hard labor in the hot sun and there was barely any food. They were eating mostly spaghetti and beans because they didn't need refrigeration for spaghetti and beans. I'm sorry, (laughs) surfrigeration. Someone one time asked one of the cooks, Mrs. Pickett, for a second helping of potatoes one night and she got into a fist fight with them. Things were dire, but at the same time, people were really hopeful. Like They knew it was hard, but they felt a sense of purpose that they were working together towards a better future. So some people didn't mind working longer hours for free because they wanted that future to come here faster. Right, okay. One resident said, no capitalist who has no interest in us further than that we can increase his wealth gets the benefit of our extra work. It belongs to us. Okay. And that's pretty appealing. Yeah. Like I can, you know, I've played Harvest Moon. Like I get it. I get socialism. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, it sounds appealing to be like, I'm going to do hard work, but it's going to make my- All of this it, better. It's going to make everybody's life better. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to what I do now, which is little work to make people's lives harder. By the, but I take pleasure in it. So yeah, I get off on yeah. it. By the summer of 1915, they had finally been able to begin building permanent structures out of clay and stones they found in the area and cement that they made out of the rocks. And by the end of 1915, there were about 500 people living there, and things actually started working as oh, a community. Well, once they got the basics of living down, they were able to start realizing their vision. The centerpiece of the community was the hotel they built that had housing for the sad bachelors who lived there and a communal (laughs) dining hall, an assembly room, 
fireplaces. It was just like a, a general gathering place. Like people would just meet at the hotel. And okay. Like a community center. Sort a community of thing. center. And the assembly room was where the general assembly met twice a month, which was their form of government where everyone had a say in what should happen. And these meetings were long, chaotic and fruitless. Cool. Just like now. So instead they switched to a system called the board of directors where they created a series of departments, which were each represented by one person who worked in that department. So okay. there's things like agriculture, architecture, transportation, machinery, medical, post office, and then also things like beekeeping, barbershop, shoes, fish hatchery, and cabinet making. So in all, there were over 60 departments that each had an equal say. Okay. So it's slowly turning into a regular government okay, <laughs> where, sure. where it's like, I, I'm your representative yeah, now yeah. and I swear I won't take a bribe. I, I swear, <laughs> depending on the bribe. Yeah, dep- depending on if it's from big tobacco or not. <laughs> they had a huge 65 acre school zone that had two stages of education. There was the kindergarten and elementary school run by Prudence Stokes Brown, who had studied under Maria Montessori. Oh, so wow. this was a Montessori school. Yeah. Then there was the trade school for the older kids where kids were taught practical skills and were also responsible for running their own farm and section of the community where it was up to them to build buildings and maintain roads, all of this to smoothly transition them into being contributing members of society. Okay. There was a big library. Every Sunday, the whole community had ideological forum discussions. <laughs> Adults could take continuing education classes. And there was also a ton of social clubs. There were barbershop quartets. There was a mandolin orchestra. There was mm. the Live Wires Dramatic Club theater troupe. There was an Esperanto club. God. There were no building. <laughs> How very socialist. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I can't make it to the Esperanto <laughs> club tonight. I'm in mandolin orchestra. <laughs> I'm in allocution classes. I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm playing pin the tail on the proletariat. <laughs> Uh, there were no religious buildings, but people were free to hold religious services in their own homes. Like it wasn't banned, but yeah. it's like, we're, we're not, not going to, hold- you have to do it yourself. Yeah. Build your own church. <laughs> there was a, which is basically everything was yeah. built, built. Oh, you want a hospital? Build your own hospital. There was a pool, tennis courts, basketball courts, baseball and football fields with teams that would play teams from outside the colony. Oh, there cool. were movie nights. They had the Western Comrade monthly magazine. Like I said, there was also the weekly Yano Colonist. Every Saturday night, there were dances that families from outside the community were welcome to come to, one of whom being a little boy living in nearby Palmdale named Marion Morrison, or as he grew up to oh be, the Duke himself, John oh, Wayne, Wayne, spent time on this socialist. Wow. Yeah. What a reversal he would have later in I life. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't get brought down in the blacklist for this. <laughs> Did you go to movie night at Yano <laughs> Del Rio? Oh, I tell you, partner, I didn't. That's my John Wayne. Pretty good. Uh, most I shock- the joke, but it's pretty good. What's most shocking about that is that John Wayne apparently lived in Palmdale. Yeah, that's strange. Um, Marion? <laughs> I mean, Marion? Two guys called the Zorn Brothers built mm-hmm. an airplane out of old Model T motors that mysteriously burned to the ground before its first flight. But it was an airplane. People just had like they had fun there. Harriman lived with a woman who wasn't his wife because she didn't join him up there. People had fun. <laughs> God damn it. I swear they had fun. They cheated on their wives. They had fun. (laughs) People who were old or sick or physically unable to work were cared for by the community. They got to the point where 90% of their food was produced on site. You would buy everything you needed from the commissary and the small profits that were made off those sales went right back into the community projects and you were able to withdraw $75 a year from your funds to spend outside the colony. Okay. It was capitalist socialism at work, like I said. Yeah. People were working jobs to make money, but they were jobs that helped the community 
community and money to be spent in the community. So mm-hmm. it was it was a self-contained thing. They were drinking their own urine. Right. Uh, to, Not to brag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to I don't make this sound like a paradise, but they were drinking their own urine. <laughs> Those irrigation ditches went straight into the <laughs> taps at the bar. In May 1917, they reached their height with around 1100 people living Whoa, there. Really? They had big plans for expansion also. They were going to build out a grid with radial streets like Paris emanating from oh, one wow. central hub with an underground conveyor that would bring people their food and laundry from this central place. This was designed to lessen women's domestic obligations in the oh, home okay. so that they would have more time to pursue their own interests. Yeah. But to sustain all this, they needed more water and that was a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is to this day. They hadn't just rushed into building a new city in a desert that they hoped they'd find water. And they yeah. actually did the research, but what they hadn't accounted for was earthquakes. Oh, yeah. Which had diverted a large part of their underground water supply. So their water calculations were way off. And 1917 was a drought year, and they were at the height of their population in this drought year where they suddenly didn't have enough water. Yeah. They knew natural sources would never be enough. So in 1916, they had already applied to build a dam on the river, but they were denied because at the end of the day, nobody there knew how to build a dam safely. And they also didn't have the money for it. We've been copying these uh, beavers or (laughs) it's a badgers. No, it's beavers. Uh, We've kind of taken some notes, but they're kind of shifty. They're not really down for the socialist thing. We've been attempting to use our tails to make (laughs) these dams, but it's not quite working. But I think we can develop a a satisfactory human beaver tail. (laughs) So without water, the end was already written to this story. Then they started getting into lawsuits with the neighboring ranchers for using more than their fair share of the water. Mm. Then a different sort of nature started becoming a problem human nature. Oh no, the worst kind of nature. (laughs) Some people started trying to game the system and keep more of the profits than others. Some didn't want to pull their own weight. One guy was named Gibbon and he avoided doing any sort of physical labor so often that people started referring to laziness as Gibbonitis. That's funny. Then there were those who felt lesser than the so-called managers who were the head of each of the departments and everyone was supposed to be equal here with no one person being in in charge but in the end, Harriman was kind of in charge, and that rubbed people the wrong way. As it should have. So opposition groups started to pop up in the community to undermine the work that was being done. One was called the Welfare League, who resisted the politics, but they were forced to leave because opposition in any form was deemed as going against the harmony that they were striving for. One group formed called the Brush Gang, who were plotting to remove Harriman from power. Oh, cool. So named because they would meet in bushes to discuss overthrowing the government. They... (laughs) Real organized stuff. When you hear that they're meeting in the bush, you have to take them very seriously. Oh, you guys are a real group. This is a big bush. <laughs> they drew plans in the sand. Greg. Don't mess with them. Don't mess with them. They put sprigs of sage on their shirts so that members could identify each other Cute. as a member of the brush gang. They grew to 83 members with their leader being Frank Miller. Not that one, although uh-huh. I could see it. Yeah. All opposition groups were given one of two options, disband or exile. Many chose exile and turned right around and filed lawsuits against the colony for swindling them. Mm -hmm. They did get investigated, the colony, and were found to be mismanaging funds, so they were banned from selling new shares of the community. But Harriman's solution was to form a new shell company in Nevada because their ban only applied to selling shares in California, Mm. and they were allowed to stay open because we're we're selling it in Nevada. You never said anything about Nevada. Nevada. (laughs) Do you think about Nevada? But these people who left were also bad 
bad-mouthing Yano to the press, which, of course, Harrison Gray Otis and the LA Times absolutely relished. Yeah, 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 yeah. They printed stories of every failure, every misstep. They called Harriman the modern Moses and the oligarch <laughs> of misrule. Right. And the, why don't they call him the modern Job? Didn't, <laughs> didn't Job do bad things? I don't know. What did Job do? I don't remember. What, and at the end of the day, what, what did, did Job, Job do? do? What would Job do? And the truth was the place was managed poorly because nobody there was really trained to manage a place, like to yeah. run a government. They were making it up as they went and were all equally inexperienced. And the bureaucracy would sometimes clog itself up. Like one time they lost an entire crop of alfalfa because the committee never got around to authorizing having it harvested in time before it rotted. <laughs> so they were like, can we do it now? Uh, it's not on the docket. Yeah. And then like a week later, okay, you can do it. And it's yeah, all it's gone. Dead, yeah. From incidents like this and the water situation, the farms never got to the point where they were making profits, which is money they were relying on to stay afloat afloat on water, which they also didn't have. <laughs> Plus, all these lawsuits were draining their funds, and slowly people's savings started to dwindle, and then <laughs> World War the first one became World War, the U.S. is involved, and able-bodied men from the community started getting plucked out to go kill the Red Baron, and others slowly started to leave, unable to resist the call of capitalism from the higher-paying wartime jobs that started to pop up in L.A., yeah. and by early 1918, Yano Del Rio was bankrupt. Wow. As soon as they were denied the permit to build a dam, Harriman saw the writing on the wall. So he had already started scouting a new location for Yano Del Rio elsewhere with more water. And that hunt led him to Stables, Louisiana, oh. which is where he and the remaining diehards relocated to in 1918, which they renamed New Yano. You could just give it a new name. It should have been Yanu. <laughs> <laughs> This new Yano actually lasted pretty successfully until 1937 when they still remained a town but abandoned socialism. Oh. It's still there today. It's called New Yano. You can go visit. Oh, it. really? It's just a, you know, probably a, yeah. probably a very racist town now. Um, but let's not forget Harriman's silent partner through all of this, his TB. <laughs> Swampy Louis Old Louis. Oh, yeah, Swamp. you can't go swampy. You can't, if you have TB, you can't go to the swampy no, Louisiana. You gotta get hot. You gotta get hot. You gotta get cool. You gotta <laughs> get love. Was that's the, the TB song? Parentheses the TV the TV, TV song. song. Yeah. So swampy old Louisiana was not good for that. So in 1924, he left New Yano and moved back to the other L.A., Los Angeles, where he lived at the Melrose Hotel on Bunker Hill until the end of his life one year later. Meanwhile, back at old Yano, immediately when the community exodus, there's a lot of Job in this, the local ranchers looted the place to hell and demolished everything to Whoa. recover as many resources as they could. Jeez. The ruins that remain are still there off the 138. There's like some stone walls of like the hotel oh, and some okay. floors oh, wow. you can still go there so the largest socialist experiment in the 20th century united states and maybe ever in the united states ended with a bunch of people from palmdale ripping it apart for leftover clay <laughs> in 1934 king vidor made a fictionalized version of this story called our daily bread but one guy who really thought about this place a lot was a guy who lived nearby decades later, Aldous Huxley. Oh, okay. Of which another, like, why are all these people living Man, in Palmdale? Palmdale. Uh, Weird. Like Redman? What's <laughs> Redman doing in Palmdale? Is it Redman or Method Man? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know either one of them lived in Palmdale. <laughs> oh, no. Method Man lived in Lancaster. <laughs> he got to know a few of the former colonizers, not Method Man or yeah. Red Man, Aldous Huxley. Sure. And he said he always heard good things from them, but he still looked upon the ruins of Yano del Rio and referred to them as the Desert Ozymandias. But to you, Aldous Huxley, legendary science fiction titan, I say Ozymandias was already in the desert, you idiot. <laughs> Don't try to compare them as if it's different. It's the same exact thing. 
Well, hot take on uh, Huxley. Wow, you're really coming for our oldest Huxley now. Yeah, Brave New World, isn't it? Uh, is that him? I think yeah, that's, that's him. him. Oh, that that's him. <laughs> oh, that's him. So wow. Yeah, it's a it's a. I don't imagine what could have ha- what could have been if if Palmdale was a socialist I city. I mean, neither one of us would have been invited to it, so we would have only <laughs> heard from afar. <laughs> we have to dig a what? <laughs> no. no, 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 no. I'm going to Surfridge. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna. I don't care. I don't care where I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna leave this place. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it could. I mean, had it gone a different way, who knows? You yeah, know, the, the whole world would have been changed yeah. if this had been a success. Which it could have been. Like if yeah, they had it wasn't water, yeah. it wasn't impossible. If they had water, like it felt like it was starting to work. Yeah, but it, you know, it was it was the. It was the LA Times bombing all over again. Yeah. They're like, wait a minute, socialism leads to no water? No. I see a direct correlation between these two <laughs> things. Socialism, no water. Harrison Gray Otis told me. William Randolph Hearst, he backed it up. He backed it up. And I trust him because he has three names. Uh, he has three names and a house for every name. <laughs> uh, sorry, a manor for every name. A manor for every name, yeah. Uh, a mistress for every name. But yeah, no, it, it sounded like it was working. Yeah. It just, uh, water, like that's all it was. Yeah. But yeah, it could have worked and things would have been different. It could have proved an example. Maybe he would have been elected to, Yeah, uh, it would have spread. Yep. It, much like everybody who was against it was afraid of, it would have spread. Yeah, that's probably, I mean, I'm, I'm sure nobody in a high status in LA was sorry to see it go. Oh no. Oh God, yeah. no. Oh, so, oh, Doheny was so upset like, to see hearted. socialism failed. Oh, all right. Back to capitalism. <laughs> what could have been? Yeah. So yeah, some lost communities. And there were there were others that I yeah. wanted to like the sunken city I wanted sure. like that seems like it was just like part of Rancho Palos Verdes that <laughs> again fell into the ocean. Yeah, yeah. We, that's the second of story we've covered of a, a an area it's just like yeah, and then just water took it over and that's it. <laughs> well, well, that brings us back to Atlantis. Oh, right, right, right. Of course, uh, uh, in, it's in now it's in the county line. So is uh, El Dorado. El Dorado. I was yeah. thinking of Casa del Oro. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's a house in El Dorado. Yeah, it must be. it must be. I'm not without looking it up. It must be uh yeah so you know the city used to look a lot different in a yeah. few places and then it all just got paved over for airports and palmdale well interestingly i most of the land that yano del rio is now that airport that's in palmdale, oh interesting so. hmm. Hmm. look at that conspiracy conspiracy yeah, the wright brothers hmm. they, i guess they knew what they were doing all biggest along. gentrifiers <laughs> they gentrified the sky <laughs> who knows maybe your town's next <laughs> <laughs> who will be wiped off the map off the map next month tune in and find out when we tell you are you being evicted <laughs> you get so used to the idea like i was saying uh, of a ghost town being one particular thing and you forget that yeah it doesn't have to have saloon doors to no, be a ghost exactly town. and it could be in it the, could have mel blanc's doors <laughs> <laughs> exactly it could it can look like many other things and uh like tropical it was completely absorbed that's not really a ghost town i'm thinking of i'm thinking of like yeah that used to be a hotel where socialism also took almost took over but right. uh, it didn't work because there's no water so now it's just a bunch of things that yeah. taggers will you know, beat up yeah it, to think john wayne could have been a socialist <laughs> we, we, what could have been oh here, here's my joke that i didn't have before yeah i'm here to share my wages partner that's what this could have been Pretty america <laughs> american icon <laughs> Super not racist, John Wayne. Yeah, I'm here to spread the idea of equal rights. <laughs> I believe in weekends. <laughs> Everybody's working <laughs> for the weekend. Not in my society, partner. Or rather, comrade. <laughs> That's my horse, comrade. <laughs> this is good. 
Um, this is I promise jokes. <laughs> so uh, before we get to our listener question, yes. let's just uh, plug one thing as well. We do. Let's oh, yeah. reiterate. Support us on Patreon. LAMeekly.com. No. LA... Patreon.com slash LAMeekly. Although you could go to LAMeekly.com slash Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> it's LAMeeklyPodcast.com. But yes, yeah, you can do the same thing. How about you just go to palindrome.net and find, you know, you'll find us. Yeah, we're there somewhere. But uh, yeah, you could support us for $5 a month. You will get handwritten postcards from yep. a different place in Los Angeles from us every single month yep. for lower. You're just supporting the show and we appreciate that too. Yeah. It, helps, it helps us stay afloat yes. to keep this. I mean, we're rolling in it, but we want more. I mean, man, do we have money? God, like, uh, I mean, I thought that I had enough and I looked at it. I'm like, I could have like a little bit more. We're trying to start a socialist society here. We need your money. <laughs> and we need your money. As capitalists, we need your money to make a socialist society. <laughs> Where you're buying shares of LA Meekly. That is not legally binding. You are no, not no, buying shares not, of LA. No, do not look into that. <laughs> it's more of a spirit of an idea. By share, we mean you're sharing your money with yeah, us. Yeah, with us. So now... To close out the show, we have a yes. listener question. Oh, I'm excited because you didn't tell me what this was before. This one, yeah. This, so this one was a, this is like a hard history listener question. This one is from our old pal, Chrishell. Oh, like Chrishell. What's the story with Compromise Line Road and Glendora? Okay. So I really wanted to get to the bottom of this because this is like a direct, you know, not just like, what's your favorite kind of underwear? Yeah. Like it, this is I a direct, that, but yeah. I, I mean, obviously it's Calvin oh. Klein because uh, that really gets the ladies' attention yeah. when it's on their hope chest. The but. BMW of the garage, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. My doctor told me I have BMW of the garage. <laughs> Should I be concerned? <laughs> uh, so I like, I was looking into like, where do I find an answer to this? And I found literally a book called Stories of Old Glendora by Ryan Lee Price that has a whole chapter dedicated oh, to answering this. That. And I was like, this is going to blow people's minds. I can't stress enough how boring this oh was. God. Like it was the most boring <laughs> chapter oh of God. book I've ever read. But there, so there's three possible explanations. One says it was the result of a land dispute between three ranchos around that area owned by Ignacio Palomares, Ricardo Vejar, and Henry Dalton in 1846. And this line was the demarcation line between their properties. Okay. Another says it was a land dispute between the San Jose Ranch Company south of what is now Route 66 and the ranchers north of Route 66 in 1858. Uh-huh. The third is that it was, you won't believe it, a land dispute between C.C. Warren and a Leslie Joy sometime between 1898 and 1921, all three of which seem to revolve around this giant oak tree. Okay. So I wish it was more exciting. Like I had to go through this chapter twice of like, am I Did missing I miss, why they I wrote must a have whole chapter? <laughs> I must have missed the stagecoach yeah. wagon. When was the threat and the curses from yeah. like an evil witch or something like that? But it was just like, it, you know, if you're into Glendora history, I'm sure you're going to be interested in this, yeah. but it was just a lot of names of people who mean nothing to me okay and it was i was like i really wished it was more interesting than that but it was literally a compromise like that was the compromise yeah where does their ranch end (laughs) this street clearly (laughs) marked now this street so there's your answer chrishell sorry it wasn't more interesting yeah we could have we'll dress this up next time and lie yeah the uh, next ask me again what the story is of death of the firstborn lane (laughs) I'll, i'll get back to you on that Surprisingly, pretty simple. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. It was a land dispute. <laughs> Firstborn was the name of the ranch that was there. B-O-R-N-E. Yeah. For the first death of the firstborn. Oh, that should be the next Jason Bourne movie. Yeah. Death of the firstborn. <laughs> yeah. And that's when they kill Matt Damon off and they bring in Jesse Plemons. <laughs> 
yeah, so that's our September episode. We actually have some music coming in. Oh, yeah. Oh, music about that. Yeah. Keep an eye out for uh, any lost cities you might yeah. be aware of. Let any us compromised know. Lines Let us know if one of your cities becomes lost. Yeah. Let us know if you if you watch the TV show Lost. We like to hear yeah. about that. Yeah. Who is the smoke monster? I really want to know. I really want to know. I, I'm dying to know. J.J. Uh, Abrams won't answer my calls anymore. I'm yeah. dying to know. Is the smoke monster C-3PO's red arm? I'm dying <laughs> I'm to dying know. I'm dying to know. So yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks yeah. and uh, enjoy your September. Maybe there won't be a tropical storm. Maybe there won't be a heat wave. Maybe it'll just be a September like the good old days, yeah. like in 1985. <laughs> Oh, where my Calvin Klein underwear. No earthquakes in sight. I, I wish you no tropical storm, no heat wave, but a huge earthquake. Just I, the I, biggest I, one the, you've ever seen. Localized. I want I want this whole place to be a lost city by the end of September. I say that and like as people are listening to it, they're falling into yeah, a yeah, giant yeah. crevice. The last thing they hear before they fall into yeah. He wanted this. <laughs> he cursed us. So yeah, we'll see you soon. Um and that's been yet another episode of Ellie Meekly. Definitely knowing who Heidi Fleiss is since 2013. I told you. I could have sworn she was on a show that I made up. <laughs> I swear she was on the commish, which is not a show. <laughs> when is she, she on the pokey, the pokey, po- the pokey pokerson show, <laughs> right? And we all know the pokey pokerson show and their theme song. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Heidi Fleiss. Yeah. Um, wasn't she on guilty till proven innocent? That's her. Uh, starring Heidi Fleiss. Yeah. Sorry. Heidi, Heidi Flume. Yeah. I know her. <laughs> Bye. Bye.